Welcome to another episode of Waking Up to Life, 18 Minutes with Rabbi Josh. It's a podcast built around conversations with people in the community around the world who have found a bit of enlightenment in their lives. While these events may not seem life-changing to you, the conversation will reveal how the moments have shaped the world in which my guests live. It's an informal conversation, peppered with insights from Jewish tradition, and it may just change your life as well. And if not, well, it's 18 minutes with me. So, l'chaim, to life. On today's show, we are blessed to be able to welcome Dr. Tomer Malchi, who is the executive director of Cultivate in Israel. He is a PhD in soil and water sciences and has spent the bulk of his recent career working as an Israeli NGO, doing African work with the African subcontinent and changing the lives of people on the ground with agronomy and farming and soil and water. And it turns out that uh, I'm lucky enough to be working with him as well as a part of a project supporting the emerging Jewish community of Ethiopia. So Tomer, thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you, Josh, for having me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be on this uh, program. So it's uh, a conversation that we'll have, and uh, whereas some people have joined the show and talked about a challenging moment in their life that they learned a lesson, for you, your moment of enlightenment came around something very simple, the power of water. So talk a little bit about that experience that you had. So it uh, came out of nowhere, I gotta say. Uh, I was... Uh... I feel old just going back in time, but uh, I was uh, about 24, 25 years old. Uh, at the time, uh, working, uh, working at Starbucks. Um, you have now uh, a lot of uh, news about the unionizing campaign. So I was back at the first round back uh, almost 20 years ago. And that's what I was doing uh, back then. And um, I don't know why, I don't know what caused it, but suddenly I had to read everything I could about international water politics. Uh, I grabbed book after book. I would, I would seriously go on breaks, sit at Barnes and Nobles, and just kind of read every book I could find about water, whether it's about what was happening in Bolivia with people suddenly being charged for water, uh, looking at the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and where water comes in, uh, looking at, at, at water problems in the United States, Everything I could find, I, I, I had to read. And this is before smartphones. This is before it was really, I just read, you know, I had to go to a library and read books. Um, and uh, uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I, I couldn't stop reading about water. Um, and I decided um, that I need to take another step into that world, going into the sciences of it to understand, uh, have a really deep understanding of, of what this means. At the time, uh, I recently met my, my girlfriend back then, uh, who was an Israeli. She wanted to go back to Israel. Um, and uh, we decided to go back uh, together after stopping for a few months in San Francisco. We moved back to Israel, now my wife. Uh, so it, it, it was a good decision. Um, and I ended up uh, looking at all of the you know, Israel, of course, is powerhouse of water technology. So 
I started looking at, okay, where am I going to restudy, do another bachelor's, maybe do a master's. I ended up going to a, doing my, my a new, another bachelor's degree. So I had a bachelor's from Cornell University in industrial labor relations. And I completely said, okay, I'm doing something completely different. Did another bachelor's degree in soil and water sciences at uh, the Faculty of Agriculture of Hebrew University. Um, and it's amazing, I, I went to study soil and water sciences and then what happened was I fell in love with soil. <laughs> Something I didn't expect, but uh, anyone who ever looks at what soil is made up of, it is a fascinating world um, of electrical charges and ions and you know all of the basis of agriculture really depends on a good healthy soil and understanding what that means in terms of microbiology and physics and chemistry is, it's an amazing, fascinating world. Um, so, so that's, and then as you said, I, I ended up doing a master's, uh, a PhD. Uh, and while that was happening, I, I found a, I founded a, a chapters of Engineers Without Borders that ended up <coughs> developing to cultivate uh, which today I run, I found that with two uh, two partners, uh, uh, Ben Cohen and Yair Kenan. And we started uh, uh, an organization that really started, you know, $25,000 to establish a small demonstration site. Uh, and today we are uh, working in three different countries, soon to be four, uh, with agricultural programs that are supporting governments, businesses, farmers, and, and having an immense impact wherever we are. Um, and uh, it's all because of just some kind of intuition that I need to start reading about water. So it's yeah. amazing to hear you talk in those terms. I can't help but, as the rabbi in the conversation, link this to the elemental moment in our people's history when we left Egyptian slavery and it was that moment at the water, the parting of the Red Seas that sort of birthed the, the search for land. And that's really what you're talking about. Uh, a water moment led you to this search for soil and an understanding. But it, it's interesting to hear you talk about water in those terms. What is it about water that is so elemental, right? Our bodies are comprised mainly of water. What is it for you about the water itself that has sort of enlightened you to what matters in the world? Um, so before I answer, I'll ask you a little bit of a, I'll put in my own Jewish thoughts into here, although it's not my world. Um, you know, Abraham, when, when when you read about, you read, you know, in, in, in the Torah, you see that he's constantly finding water, digging wells, like it's a big part of his story as well. And, and I, I think a lot of it is, is really, you know, what does that mean? What, what is it about in the Torah? What does it mean that he's finding wells, that he's digging, that there's water? And, and I think with water, first of all, there's prosperity, right? The the wealth that we build comes from the fact of having water for agricultural production, basis of economic development. Uh, we can't drink without water. Water is the basis of life uh, in many ways, uh, both, both uh, on the physical level, but also on a spiritual and mental level. 
Um, I, I don't know how to explain it. I think that there's just a lot of connections. The physical properties of water are extremely different from everything else on this planet. Um, it's, I, I, it's, it's hard to explain, but there's something in water that when you dive into it, you know, sit in the ocean for a bit, you understand that everything is different. Everything suddenly stops, everything calms down. Sitting in a pool of water, you, you, you get to understand something else about life. Um, so I, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> no, you did a nice job of answering it. It is elemental. There is something at a core level that connects us human beings to water. I'm wondering though, as you've started to do this work in Africa, we, trying to help people access fresh water, drinkable water, and how to use that water to sustain themselves. What is a lesson that you have learned about those interactions with people as a result of the, your connection to water and soil? I think a, one of the most important things that comes out in my mind is really the, the idea of responsibility. Um, I think oftentimes we, we, we fail to understand what it means to take responsibility. I think in, a, in our world today, not enough people take responsibility. We're very quick to blame everyone else for our problems. You know, a, if you look at a, in the United States, problems of obesity, it's never the person who's obese, it's not his fault. It's the fast food, it's, uh, but where's that personal responsibility? You know, how come we, we don't take, you know, we always look for the government is to blame. There's not enough personal responsibility at the end of the day. And I think from, from my interactions, one of the most inspiring moments I had was really sitting with a, a, our program manager in uh, the Tigray region of Ethiopia, Hagos. And he was recently appointed. He's been in there for half a year at this time. And I, I sit down with him to see how he's doing, what he thinks of his position as, as being a coordinator. And he says, it's the first time anyone has ever given me any responsibility. I had no idea what responsibility was. I go to sleep thinking about work. I get up thinking about work. I love it. I'm responsible for something. I, 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 someone trusts me to do something. And I think, you know, this is something that, that I'm not sure we all understand how, how important it is to be responsible beyond just, you know, a, just yourself being responsible for the world itself. You know, whether a, a, you look at my actions individually and my actions as a community, how they affect everyone around me, how they affect me, how they affect people I've never met before on the other side of the world. There's a lot to talk about when we talk about what is our responsibility to this world, to this planet, to future generations. And I, I think this is something that, that really comes about. And I think one of those really, I'm gonna relate back to water is, you know, when you look at polluted lakes and polluted ecosystems, you know, what, the failure of responsibility of past generations to look at what will happen in the future is something that we're trying to deal with now and, and struggling to do so. Um, but but I, I think it's possible. I, I'll also say this, and maybe this is uh, something that's always interesting to talk about is, is I'm very optimistic about the future. 
Uh, I, I think uh, we're, we're fed a lot of fear, but I think the future is very bright uh, and that we're in a, an amazing position in world history and amazing things are, are about to come up in front of us. So it's amazing to hear you talk in those terms. You, you talked about personal responsibility. What you didn't talk about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is the other side of that equation, accountability. How do we hold others accountable for even the small actions that are necessary to do that? You know, you talked about the, the optimistic future. It does demand that we are held accountable to do our part, whether it's the simple act of not throwing your straw on the ground so that it goes into a water source and ultimately gets to the ocean, or uh, a more global accountability, which is asking governments and agencies to behave differently. So how, how do you deal with the accountability side of that responsibility question? It's, 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 it's interesting. I, I, I really, I'm not sure. I, I, I think anyone who's responsible, truly responsible, doesn't need to worry about accountability because they will do what they're responsible to do. The accountability aspect is for people who do things without being responsible, where someone is, respond, is, is responsible for cleaning up a lake and they didn't do it. They were never really responsible. So of course they're not accountable. So if we have true responsibility for others, accountability should be something that we just check off very easily on the list. And the problem is that people just aren't, it goes back to the problem that people just aren't responsible for what they're supposed to be responsible for. Okay, so I have to ask you this, and you may not be able to answer. Uh, I have some inside information, and because we're friends as well, that uh, you're a new father. And mm -hmm. obviously, you must be thinking about how do I teach my new child this sense of responsibility in the world? Have you given any thought to what it will take to allow him to become a responsible member of the community? I, I have a lot of thoughts about uh, raising children because um, when you do it, you start thinking about every action you do. And I think the first and most important thing is, is to be a role model. Uh, they learn by, by what they see. So the fact that they see even the little things, you know, and, and how we treat our partners, uh, the responsibility that we take with each other that, you know, if, if someone needs help on a very small local level, someone needs help picking something up from the ground or picking something up, raising something, you know, taking something outside or, and that's where it starts. I think it starts with the, you know, some basics idea of you see an old person that requires a helping hand, that's where it starts. Th those are the, the first moments that you, you teach a child to act with responsibility towards others. So I, I think the bigger, issues that I deal with, you know, if, if that's something that he decides to to deal with, good for him. Uh, but I think more it's, it's starting with by just being a, a good person and having responsibility for the people around you. Goes back to the very core essence of Judaism, right? You look at the commandments of the Torah and, and that is exactly what's being created is a society where people do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because there's a reward or punishment. Um, that's very esoterical, right? We can talk philosophy, we can talk religion. I'm wondering if as a scientist today um, with a, a, a new PhD in hand, can you identify two or three actionable items 
where people who are listening to this podcast can do the right thing with regard to water, soil, universe. And, and, and it can be as simple as just, okay, really follow through on your responsible recycling. Or is there something, is, are, are there things that you can just tell us to do today that uh, will help us take responsibility for the planet? So I, I have a very, very strong recommendation. If there's young people here listening, become engineers, become experts in what you're in, in the science of it. You know, there's there's too much of emphasis that solutions will be brought up and put to work on a legal, you need to be a politician. We don't need solutions to come from politicians. They need to come from experts. I think that you know people who are listening and want to say, how, how do we change the world? The best thing is, is to get people who have a good heart to become scientists, to become engineers, and to learn you know, these fields of study to become, to be able to afterwards also uh, change. Uh, and, and I'll make a little plug because I'm here. I, uh, I was actually gonna ask you to do this. I was gonna tell you to, if there's a 20 some year old here looking for an opportunity, what can they do today? So at the Faculty of Agriculture today in Israel, uh, there's a, a new or an updated international, there's a school, there's an international school and there's an environmental studies program. It's a master's degree for anyone who is looking to really understand these issues. Uh, Israel is a great place to get an understanding of them. Uh, it's a first step also to anyone who's interested in doing research in Israel uh, or even to look at coming to work at Cultivate uh, we have a, a strong internship program where we put young uh, agronomists in the field uh, in the countries we work in, mostly in Africa, uh, to do good work, to, to also learn agriculture on a very deep level, to also understand how to work in an international context. If there are young people who are listening, we are glad to check our website out, come come approach us. We, we are more than happy to, to also just even give advice on how to get into this world. Um, and I do recommend looking at the Faculty of Agriculture, Hebrew Universities, uh, International Program, uh, the program for uh, environmental studies is, is now open. There's an open day actually coming up, uh, I think, next week. And if there are people who are interested, they should, they should look it up. So these are two organizations that are definitely a good start for anyone who's interested. I would also say, if anyone really has questions on how to get into this world, of uh, agricultural development, looking at how to make this world a better place from a scientific point of view, as scientists, as experts, as engineers, as agronomists, feel free to contact me. I'm very open to guiding people on how to get into this world. There are many opportunities and good salaries. Uh, so it's it's something that should be considered. If you're, you're gonna do good in the world, you can also earn a good uh, salary doing it. And those you don't have to give up on a certain lifestyle if to do good in the world. So I think what you're saying is if you want to be a responsible citizen of the world, you have to become a professional responsible citizen of the world. Uh, in whatever area you want to take responsibility, take that seriously and use the power of education, the power of systems to become a, a professional in the area of responsibility, whatever area that is. And in this case, we're talking about science, but it really, I think applies to anything. If you wanna do something well, you have to simply do it well. 
Um, but you you don't need experience, right? It, for for somebody to come work with Cultivate or somebody to to get their hands dirty, they don't need to be already an agronomist, right? An agronomist is anybody willing to put their fingers in the earth, correct? You need to have some kind of a background that is uh, useful, um, meaning that if you have a, a degree in a, in a philosophy and you've never planted a vegetable, I don't have much use for you, to be honest. But if uh, you have experience in agriculture or a degree uh, and you have basics that we can work with, then yeah, we, because part of it is to take knowledge that exists and train others. There are different programs also in Israel that can help train someone who's interested in coming into this world. And also in the United States, you have lots of agricultural training programs. But um, I think it's important to follow your passion. First of all, if, if there's something out there that you find I'm so interested in this, go for it. No, don't, don't listen to anything anyone tells you. If you have a passion, find a way to make a living from that passion because it's there. There's, there's a reason that, you know, Borelam gave you this passion. Like it's there for a reason, work with it. Um, so I, I think uh, uh, for me, it's, it's water science, agriculture, uh, and, and people who want to, if people have passions for making this world a better place, I recommend looking at what science really drives you, which one finds a, this interest in you because it, it's, that's how you really can change something. It's really by finding solutions that are practical and scientific and they're out there. There are amazing companies, startups that are now working at the environmental level, at the agricultural level connect the high tech with agriculture with the environmental sciences there's there's you know you think about the smartphone it's been around for less than 10 years and on a popular level we're just getting started with the digital revolution it's it's a brand new world it really is yeah it's very exciting and who would have thought that a young man working at a starbucks would end up creating his own NGO with partners and, and li literally every single day changing the world. I have eyes on that firsthand. And by the way, um, if anybody wants that philosophy degree and wants to use that somehow, you can come to me. That's sort of my business. So uh, the scientists can go to you, Tomer. The philosophers can come on, on my side of the conversation. And we can work together side by side. Um, it's such a. Yeah, I, I'd say that, that I, I totally agree. I think there's lots of room for philosophy. I, I don't say that anything is against it. Also, you know, my, my wife is a dancer, she does the art. And I think that part of my inspiration, part of my motivation is built from seeing art and being part of a different world and allowing that to infiltrate into my thinking. Like these two all come together hand in hand, they, they all work together. So. Definitely. Well, I, I, look, I, let's talk a, a quick shameless plug about the work we're doing together. The American Friends of uh, Beta Israel of North Shoah. It, this is the religious side and the philosoph philosophical side and the scientific side sort of coming together. And our partnership is uh, helping people be self-sustainable, both from the standpoint of agriculture and food and, and their own personal sustainability, but also uh, self-determination as Jews. And I think that we have to work together. We have to be multidisciplinary and bring people together. And the work that we can do is monumental. 
Um, so it, I, it's just a joy. It's a joy to have you, a pleasure to, to, to talk to you, to listen to something outside of what we're usually talking about, which is fundraising for these projects that we're doing. Um, but uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. I, as we're coming towards the end, uh, I just want to ask you a quick question that I have asked every one of my guests. Uh, I, I'm springing this on you at the end without preparation, but um, is there right now a book that you are reading, uh, a, a television show that you're watching, a podcast that you're listening to that has really sort of reshaped the way you're thinking about the world? Anything you could recommend to the listeners? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I recently read a Factfulness, a, and it is a book that is amazing. I'll, I'll just quickly say that the, the book in it talks about, uh, talks a lot about how we need to update our understanding of the world. You know, when you think about Africa, what comes to mind? You think of poor children in a rural community, but that's not Africa. You know, like when, when you look at what's happened in the last 10, 20 years, economic growth of five to 10% in many African countries, along with investments coming in, you see large farms establishing, you see industry popping up, you see cities today that are very modern. The image of what we see of Africa needs to be updated in everyone's mind. Africa is not what it was when I was in high school. And, and most of the people who are now teaching about Africa don't, probably were never there, uh, don't understand the changes that it's gone through. In, in, in the 10 years that I've been coming to Ethiopia, it's a whole different place. Addis Ababa is an incredible city with huge buildings. It's not what you expect. The book Factfulness talks about how most world leaders, most decision makers have an outdated thinking. Like when, when he, he really talks about asking these questions and that most of the times, like if, if I say, what is the, the amount of people uh, without clean water in the world? If it was a 30 something percent 30 years ago, how is it today? Most people, less than, he uses this analogy, he says that he has the group and he has the, a bunch of monkeys. The monkeys statistically answered one third to, to A, B, or C, and the group of people also would answer according to what they thought, A, B, or C. Wow. The monkeys always score better than the people because people have an outdated sense of what's really happening. You know, today, less than 10% of the world does not have access to water. You and know, less than of the world is making below what's determined poverty wages. Like it's amazing. The world is a much better place than it was 10 years ago. And we, we somehow have failed to understand this. Um, but yeah, so this book is, is what I commend because it, it really updates our, our program. And the title is again? Factfulness. Factfulness. Do you know the author's name? I have to look it up. I don't remember it offhand, but I, as we speak, I will. Factfulness. It's a Anna Anna Rosling Ronoland and and Ola Rosling. Perfect. Factfulness. Uh, we'll put it when we post the the podcast. I'll make sure to link to. Uh, uh, Hans Rosling. I'm sorry. Hans Rosling. Amazing, amazing. I'm I'm ready to to buy the book today. At at what I think you mentioned something that was called a bookstore. I I've not heard of that before. So maybe I'll have to go a to what? a bookstore. 
a bookstore or a <laughs> library, something like that. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I actually listen to the books on Audible, to be honest. <laughs> I listen, I, most of what I do is that way as well. And hopefully people are watching and listening to this podcast on Audible or the Apple podcast store. Anyway, uh, Tomer, Dr. Tomer Malki from Cultivate. Uh, so good to work with you every single day that we do our project together. So good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. A pleasure. So to everybody who's listened today, thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this newest episode of Waking Up to Life with Rabbi Josh. Continue to do good work in the world. Continue to take responsibility. And every day, wake up to life. We'll see you next time. L'chaim. Thank you.